here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. He said, come and follow me. Christianity recognizes a theological truth. It recognizes the message of John 3.16. It recognizes who Jesus is and what he did. That unites us. That holds us together. But not only do we give mental assent to it, we give our heart to it. We give our lives to it, our wills to it, and we follow it with everything we have. At times, it seems, there is pressure in today's culture to unite with other religions under a common cause or a common banner. Of course, we all serve our communities, and there may be room to do that alongside other religions to a point. But when asked to join hands and pray together, this, says Pastor Ed, is where we must draw the line. In today's message, Pastor Ed argues that there is a time to lovingly divide with other religions. We do not serve the same God. Christianity is a call to Christ alone. Now here's Pastor Ed with part one of today's message entitled, United We Stand. John chapter 17. We're going to look at one of the great passages of Scripture found in the New Testament. It's the longest prayer we have recorded that Jesus prayed. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed hours before he was going to Calvary. Hours before he was going to suffer on the cross for our sins. And it expresses his passion. His burden, what was uppermost in his mind for his church. In John chapter 17, he begins with praying for himself and then prays for his immediate disciples, his apostles. And then he prays for those who would believe the message that the apostles preached. And we're going to begin at that point. John chapter 17, beginning to read with verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. This was the heart felt prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father for his church. And I believe that he is still praying that prayer in heaven as he ever lives to intercede for the saints. It was 1994. Twelve churches were targeted across our country to be marched on and protested at. These churches were chosen because of their moral stance, because they were willing to make a difference in their community, 
one of the churches was Armitage Baptist Church in Chicago. It was active in its community, marching outside of abortion clinics, sharing the gospel and telling the women there that it was another way. It was active in helping the community get free of drugs. And they preached a moral gospel. They were involved in social justice and they were involved as well in preaching how to live a moral life that adultery and fornication and homosexuality were sin. Well, they were targeted. And there was a large protest group that was going to come and march outside their church. The pastor heard about it in advance. Sunday, he announced a Wednesday night prayer meeting. There were nearly a thousand people in the sanctuary as they began to pray and praise God. And crowds of people gathered outside the church. They were chanting, shouting, racist, sexist, anti-gay, born-again bigots, go away. Racist, sexist, anti-gay, born-again bigots, go away. It was relentless. Now the pastor of that church, Charles Lyons, had a good friend, Pastor Meeks. And he shared his burden with Pastor Meeks, who pastored an African-American church. And while this church, the Baptist church, was praying, a bus pulled up outside a school bus, and then another bus, and then another bus, Seven buses pulled up outside around the church. The youth choir from Pastor Meek's church across town had come. And they elbowed their way through the crowd. They took their place between the crowd and the church. And they began to sing praises. And give glory to God. The crowd became louder and shouted and tried to outshout the choir. But to no avail as the choir began to sing praises to God. After 10 minutes the crowd was silent. After 20 they had dispersed. Pastor Meek and his congregation and the youth choir came into the church. And there they took up seats. They had folded seats out there because there were so many praying and they put those seats on the side as there was hardly room enough for people to gather around and they began to worship and shout to God in unity. What we need to do as a church, as a Christian community, as the people of God is to take very seriously The prayer of Jesus when he prayed that we might be one. It is not to be just taken lightly and pushed aside and ignored and given platitudes of admiration to. It's to be taken seriously in the church because it will make all the difference. Now, if you look at this text, you see the nature of our unity 
And then you see the impact of our unity. You see the nature of our unity and then its impact. Well, it's nature. In verse 21, 17, 21, that all of them may be one. He's praying for a unity. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Notice that all of them may be one. It is, first of all, a theological unity. In verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. He's speaking to the disciples. He's looking out into the future. He's standing with a panoramic view and looking at the generations to come looking all the way from the 1st to the 2nd to the 21st century, looking to our time, our place. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What's that message? That message is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That message was God revealing himself, his purpose and his plan for mankind to have fellowship with him, to be right with him. It's not myths or stories or people's philosophy. It's not some theologians in some ivory towers spinning out some statements that they think sound good. No, it's the message that Jesus gave to his disciples that they gave to their disciples that's been passed on for 2,000 years. See, there's unity in that message. We stand in that message. We adhere to that message. We embrace that message. That message tells us is only one Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world. In 1 John 4, 14, the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That message tells us that Jesus is exclusively the Savior, the only Savior. In Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That message says that Jesus died for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That message says in 1 Corinthians 15.20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The grave couldn't keep him. Death couldn't hold him. See, that message preached that Jesus Christ came to this world, died for our sin, rose from the dead, and that he's God. Not a little God, a smaller God, a lesser God. Not in a God who evolved somehow into what he is now. No, in Titus 2.13 it says, While we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed... Jesus is God. 
How essential, how important, how necessary is this message? We don't join arm in arm and hand in hand with those who deny the central doctrines of the Christian faith. I know there are movements that say to us, Let's be ecumenical. Let's come together regardless of what we believe. No, we can't do that. Salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He died for our sins. There's no other way to be saved. You can't channel and somehow reach some higher power and being and be okay. No, Jesus is exclusive. This is what the church has preached for 2,000 years. That's the message that was given to the apostles, given down through the ages. And now that we have, see, that's the message that unites us. I remember when I first came to Poughkeepsie, I received a call from the clergy. It was shortly after 2001, after 9-11. When the call came, they said, all the churches in our area were a part of the ministry want to get together. Could we have a prayer meeting at Faith Assembly? I said, sure. Now, I thought there were Christian churches But when they had the article in the newspaper, Muslims and Buddhists and this and that, and I I called them up. I said, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. It's not because I don't care for those people or love them. But we're not serving the same God. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. We can't compromise. We can't somehow sidestep the fact of what Jesus claimed, that he was the truth, the way, and the life. I'm not going to have an abomination in the house of the Lord where people are praying to all different gods that don't really exist. We're going to seek the one and true living God, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It is not a unity at the expense of truth. John Blanchard said, when the Bible speaks about church unity, it speaks of unity not at the expense of truth, but on the basis of it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 came forward, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Notice, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The message is a creed. It's creedal. You look at the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, there are great truths of Scripture in those creeds. There is a mental assent to the truth, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end there. There's a heart commitment to the truth. It goes beyond just the mind and reaches the heart and reaches the will, our volition. It touches us at the core of our being. See, Christianity is not merely some statement of faith that we give mental assent to. It's far more than that. It's something that we commit ourselves to. The very first name that Christians were given, the very first name that followers of Christ were given was people of the way. And the implication was that they live a certain way. 
that they lived a certain lifestyle, that they lived a life that reflected the life of Christ. They called believers, followers of Christ, Christians at Antioch. And Christian means little Christ. So as people looked at us, as they looked at our predecessors, as they look at our forefathers, they saw a reflection of what Jesus was. Jesus said to his disciples, come, follow me. He didn't say, come, make out your own way. He didn't say, come and do your own thing. He said, come and follow me. Christianity recognizes a theological truth. It recognizes the message of John 3.16. It recognizes who Jesus is and what he did. That unites us. That holds us together. But not only do we give mental assent to it. We give our heart to it. We give our lives to it. Our wills to it. And we follow it with everything we have. Hallelujah. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Something happens when you embrace that message. Something happens when you accept that message. You cannot stay the same. You can't. It revolutionizes your life. It explodes on the inside and changes you. That's why 1 John 1, 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. What happens is when we hear the message and believe the message and embrace the message, immediately we have fellowship with one another. There is a camaraderie. There is a connection. There is a spiritual unity that happens. It's not only a theological unity. It is a supernatural unity. In John 17, 21, it says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's something unexplainable about the Trinity. Something that you cannot understand. How can there be three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You can spend all your life trying to fathom it, but you can't. There should be something very unexplainable about our unity. When a person is born again, they are brought into the family of God. They are made part of the body of Christ. And there is a connection. You meet somebody, they may be a stranger. But you sense, you feel, they're a Christian. And all of a sudden you feel a connection with them. You may have met them for the very first time. You may be in a foreign land, a foreign country, a different state. But all of a sudden there's this connection. Because there's a supernatural oneness that God has created in his church. And where to preserve it, where to keep it, where to guard it. That's what the Bible tells us. That oneness reflects the relationship 
that Jesus had to the Father. Jesus obeyed the Father completely and fully. Uh, the Father worked through Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, the works that I do is the Father doing in me. What happens is when we begin to get closer and closer to God. Christ is seen more and more in our lives. That's why Paul the Apostle could say, for me to live is Christ. There is a tremendous spiritual unity that happens when we're born again. You sit in this pew and beside you is someone maybe from another nation, from a different social economic standard from a different educational background. It doesn't matter. There's a unity. And how does that unity happen? It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle that happens in every born-again Christian's heart. And if you grieve or break that, you feel grieved inside. The Holy Spirit takes you to the woodshed and you know something's wrong. Every wall, every partition, every barrier has been broken down by the cross of Jesus Christ. There are no Jews. There are no gentle Gentiles. There is no slave. There is no free. There is no woman. There is no man. What does he mean by that? He's saying that the distinctions as we stand before God, have been gone and obliterated. We're all God's people. We're all his children. And you sense that community and that unity. It's spiritual. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you, what does the word say? Must, must. If you've been washed in the blood, redeemed by God's grace, you've got to love people. If God's blood is flowing through you, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're going to mirror your relationship with God to others. What God does for you and in you, you wind up doing for others. You've met his grace, you've met his mercy, you've met his kindness, you've met his forgiveness, and you meet that out to others. There's that sense of unity and you begin loving one another. It's a supernatural unity, it's a glorious unity as well. It's theological. Here's the charisma, here's the message. The message that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, he's the only way to heaven. Here's the message that it's spiritual, that it's a miracle that God does in the life of a person. Here's the message. It's, it's a glorious unity. In verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That's a difficult verse to interpret. What did Jesus mean by I have given them the glory that you've given me? In John's gospel... Some 50 times almost glory, glorious is used. It speaks of God's character, God's presence. It speaks of his splendor. It also has reference to Jesus revealing what God is like. In the very first miracle in John chapter 2 verse 11, 
It says that he performed this miracle and this turning the water into wine and the disciples saw his glory and they believed. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Voice of Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. There's more to come from Pastor Ed's look at the Gospel of John. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and select today's date from the Voice of Faith media plan. Again, that's voiceoffaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or a friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to voiceoffaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There you'll find all the options to share. Now we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Gospel of John right here on Voice of Faith.